Thank you all for listening to One Mic Stand. Do follow us on our Facebook and Instagram page. That is O-N-E underscore M-I-C-S-T-A-N-D. Also, follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts with the same name. And last but not least, to all our groupies, we could not have done it without your support and feedbacks. Fuck yeah. Today we have Mr. Art Fazil. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Art Fazil. Thank you, man. Thank you, guys, for uh, having me at One Mic Stand Podcast. Uh, I'm 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 happy to be here. Thank you. It's great having you here, man. It's a pleasure. Pleasures all that. But before we start, I need to ask you this: Why the name Art? Yeah. Why not Cool Fazil or Handsome Fazil? <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that that would have been too obvious. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so you know Asia Nusantara you, you have to be played subtle lah, you know so but I don't know it's just one of those that you know when you are young you're starting out and you think you need a pen name or a nickname or some kind of a name that is you know that you can use as a, a front for your work and yeah. I guess I was a fan of someone in Garfunkel's so Art Garfunkel oh, okay. then there's an actor Art Malik yeah. You know, and also I go like Art Fazil. And obviously, I had a girlfriend at that time, and she was like, "Yeah, Art Fazil sounds good." I thought you say you're gonna say your girlfriend's name Art also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That that would have been another story. <laughs> okay. So how do we address you, man? We could address you as Art, or we could just call you brother because you are relaxed brother. Yeah, I mean Art is fine. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Art is good. Yeah, yeah. And you look tired. What were you doing before? What were you doing before coming here? You are in your track suit and everything. Right? Yeah, I, you know, since since COVID nineteen, I've been uh, uh, doing a lot of uh, trail running. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I started out as just running, just you know, just to exercise, and then I it graduated to like running longer hours at PCN, and then I got bored, and then my friend Lim Yubing said, hey, "Why don't you come and run with me at the um, nature trail and all that?" Right, so I. Well, I haven't done. I mean, I used to do that in the army or in, in school. You know, yeah. your cross country runs and all. That. And I used to live in a kampung at near Pierce Reservoir. I see. When I was a kid, my school was Samawang Hills Estate. It's no, I mean, it's, it's defunct now. It's, it's it's flattened and turned into housing area. So it's the old Upper Thompson Road. So there was a school there which I go to. Sometimes around the age of 10, 11, 12, a bit older in primary school, I used to take shortcuts home. And the shortcut cuts me through the forest. Yeah. And then from there, it straight it all the way in. And then I will appear at the other end of Pierce Reservoir. Yes, yeah. And I will walk back to my kampung. Lah, which is That's the a nice end. area to stay in, man. Yeah, it was a nice kampung which is very near the golf course. Because my mm. grandfather used to work at the golf course. So we had the yeah. quarters there and we were staying with them. So my childhood memories was that I saw big open field. Because there were golf courses right, right outside the house. Yeah. And we used to play football when the golfers are gone. At the uh, on in, in the fields, right? Um, Why not golf? The field is there for you. Uh, we, we not, you have to pay like thousands of thousands of dollars to play golf, right? So we'll just pay something cheaper so you play football, right? So so that was my growing up. So I was very close to nature. So and then obviously, you in in this kind of an urban environment that we're living now, more urbanized than ever. You kind of forget. So you know, with COVID nineteen, you are stuck. You can't leave. I can't leave the country yet and all that. So I go like, yeah. And then you discover the other side of Singapore that you've neglected. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel quite embarrassed to say like, look, actually, we have all these places that you can enjoy and they're nicely done. It's safe, yeah. you know, and appreciate that. I mean, like, I love the country. I have issues with maybe certain forms of certain aspects of the governance or policies, yeah. but I love the country. I was born here. The air, the wind, the sky, the people, the language, the food. All that makes up who you are, right? So, and you know, political ideas come and go, political parties come and go, but the human side of things, the the, the spiritual side of things, it stays, right? So, and I'm 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 enjoying that. Where so I'm going for my trail runs at you know whether it's the dairy farm or Chestnut Park or even like I'm checking trails and all that, just just for the, because I mean. Maybe because I'm a Torian, so we are closer to nature. We we like like nature and stuff like that. I think so. So I I find it enjoyable, you know. And the fact that we don't have to wear a face mask in the park, <laughs> right? Right. That's yeah. true. Huh? And I guess we'll see you in the next marathon. 
Well, <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not that ambitious into running, but but I I I I mean it. I've always been into sports. I used I used to play football in in school. I was part of FAS Milo Soccer School under twelve, under thirteen, fourteen, under fifteen, and then after that, I got distracted by guitar. That's why I was just going to get to that. You you played football. I know that you played football pretty uh, avidly, and then music came along. Yeah, what happened was yeah, as as any kids in Singapore, I mean, in, I'm generalizing, but there, I mean, certain certain um, kids in school would probably get into football because it's like it's the thing that the common thing that you do. You know, you either play in the open field, you play ball block, and under the void deck, and then you end, you graduate into playing in schools. Yeah. So obviously, you, you, the the before futsal it was the tennis ball, yeah, you know, yeah. at basketball court, right? So we used to play that, and then obviously your shoes all go koya, you know. Uh, yeah, I was into that, and then for I I went for the trials, and I got selected to be part of FAS Milo Soccer School, which is supposed to graduate into a Lion City team. Yeah, obviously yeah. the selection yeah. is wide, you know. So 12, 13, by the age 14, 15, I discovered the guitar. What position were you playing back then in I was uh, left wing. Yeah, I was doing left wing and sometimes midfield. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's my... Uh, I was a primary school soccer captain who for Small Hill City. Who was your peer, man? Is it D. Tokijan or on the left No, they, they were... They were the, <laughs> mine was uh, Said Farouk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I yeah. Razali Rashid. So those guys, you know. Uh, Ahmad Ibrahim. Yeah, they were one year senior, but yeah, it's, it's around that same time. So, in fact, even till now, we do hang out well, before COVID-19. We used to meet up every month or so and play at Turf City because Syed Farouk you know, runs the, the, the academy there and we get, we get to use the pitch. So, we, all the Milo boys will hang out and you know, obviously we have the WhatsApp chat groups now and then we'll just you know, coordinate. Obviously, now with COVID-19, everybody's kind of like taking it easy for a while. The president come for Milo handouts and no. So so Milo truck will be there. So by the age of fifteen, while I was playing football, then I was already picking up the guitar. I mean, by the by the time I was thirteen, I was already picking up the guitar, learning this and that. You know, playing in school, talent time, blah, blah all that stuff. But when I was fifteen, that's when uh, M Nase came came on with Kembara that yeah. the band. You know, yeah. and I was like, whoa, this is something different. You know, and that caught me and. Then, and then obviously start, and there was like Sweet Charity had albums coming out with Ramli Sarip and all that. So by that time, when I was playing football, I was thinking of guitar and go like, okay, I think I'm being distracted. And yeah, yeah that, that's when I think, I think the, the, the balance shifted. So I was still playing football, you know, I mean, leisurely sometimes. But you picked up guitar by yourself or you were learning with someone else? Uh, someone I, I else. was, uh, when I was staying in the kampung that time, there was a guy who was a former sailor. So he bought a nice guitar and because we live in this kind of quarters where there's a, there's a like a void deck, yeah. right? So he would just leave the guitar there and I'll just like come in the morning, no one is there, I'll just pick it up and play. And then he, 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 he will draw like a chord, chord charts like on, in a book and leave it there. So we'll just learn the chords. Mm. So okay, okay. I just kind of pick up like that, you know, and then uh, eventually you graduated into like becoming more and more serious in school. Then you went enter schools, talent time, and all that. Yeah, but it was mostly learning uh, on my own, but through friends, you know, like it's very kind of organic. Even when we shifted to uh, the town, the, the housing areas, the you know, living in, in flats. Guys hang out and exchange information like that, you know, because that, I mean, there was no, 
it was hard to get like a song a court book and expensive yeah. to 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 get a um, to music school and you know your parents may like um why when you go and send music school go and do tuition for maths yeah <laughs> you know be a lawyer so, yeah 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 <laughs> and so but your influences were at that point in time i mean emnase is one uh, and kembara came out with uh, that particular style of music yeah, yeah folk, and that folk style rock, yeah. which is like I mean, you had the Malaysian rock, rock apart, that kind of stuff, or the glam metal kind, of, and then they became like the so-called police of Malaysia, yeah. in a way, yeah, yeah, in a way. And everyone was like, "Hey, that's a bit different, man." The thing is, growing up in my house, in house, there was always music because my mom is a an avid radio listener. She will turn on the music when she's cooking. So we, my early memories are that scene when mom's cooking, and the radio is on. And it's just any music, you know, like it's whatever that's being played on radio. Yeah. So it was that kind of environment. And then when I was living with my grandparents, uh, my uncle was a, a vinyl record collector, mm-hmm. and in in those days before CD, right? Yeah. So they had he had Deep Purple uh, Machine Head album. I'm like, I can smell the vinyl. That one standard, must have one. Uh, that you know that, one. and then uh, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix. Um, and then all all these uh, different uh, artists that was that he was listening to, yeah. and and at that time we're looking at the Deep Purple Machine Head album, go like, guys with long hair is cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, I was what ten, eleven, or twelve, you know. The new wave of British heavy metal bands. Yeah, yeah, you know. And then at the same time, like the magazines that you pick up, you know, like some pop magazine, there'll be the cast, Rick Ocasek yeah. with his nice kind of mid. Haircut, you've you know? got a nice haircut, no? Honestly, I tell you, you look like uh, a typical Brit rocker, man. Yeah, I, I got bored with the long hair, so I thought like yeah, this, this is a yeah. uh, nice Richard Ashcroft kind of. Look. <laughs> 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 But it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, so the the early influences were that, you know, the so I remember when I was about twelve, my father bought a, a cassette player. And then the, he he bought a cassette. I don't know why he bought it, but I don't. It wasn't that it, he 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 listened to much of the music, but I remember the song Funky Town came out. Okay. Mm. And then uh, Le Freak by Chic. Mm, never heard that one. Freak out. Ah, oh, freak okay, out. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so okay. so that one. So when that came out, and it was playing on on cassette, I was like, wow, that's just interesting, you know. So, so my my influences was it was quite quite uh, varied because at the same time. Black Dog Bone appeared in 1975. They were on TV, and then Ali Cats came out in 1978. Carefree, Sweet Charity, 1978. So the vinyls were lying around. Radio was playing it. So you just yeah, as a kid, you just absorb, and, and you got like a sponge. You just pick up things, you know. And then, I mean, I didn't know I was gonna be a musician or songwriter. I was thinking I'm my, I'm a fan of Dola Kasim, mm. you know. And, <laughs> and the fact that I can I met him eventually, you know, before he passed on, you know. So I met my my idol, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I when I was in my, I was in school so I was a school soccer captain in Small Hills. I insisted that I wear number ten. Oh, just for that, huh? I insisted because when you know they say, oh, according to the alphabetical order, you you number three. I was through a big tantrum. I said I'm not gonna play because I don't get number ten. <laughs> And then eventually I remember say, okay, 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 you take number ten. <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of good players associated with the number. 10. Yeah, because in that era, you know, number ten, you got your obviously Pili, you know, and all that, right? So you you kind of get you 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 want to be number ten, you know? Yeah, that's the number back then. Uh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Before Fandi turned into seventeen, lah, you know? Yeah, locally, yeah, that's right. So yeah, so I I my my influences was was very varied, and then I was just picking stuff up. 
without clear direction and then eventually eventually when you play guitar you will you will you will definitely drift to rock yeah. because it's guitar driven yeah. that's when you you start picking up all the different songs and you you meet other teenage friends you meet up in secondary school and they will say oh listen to Led Zeppelin and then Kiss and ACDC and you just absorb you know listen 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 but my my weakness was that I couldn't play cover versions well for oh. some reason I cannot copy that's why I started writing songs I see okay but you could do it in your own way but you see you see at that time people wanted you to copy exactly Uh, and they had that trend yes that's right yeah right yeah, right yeah. and when you play in the clubs you must copy CBG like exactly not how they play note. yeah no not interpretation of the original ma- ma- even uh, if they had the English version they want you to do an exact Malay version yeah yeah so that's yeah. where you get in yeah. the 70s you have a lot of the cover versions yeah. right so and I couldn't do that I mean I tried to form bandies and that but somehow I never managed to get the right thing you know so I and then when I wanted to learn new chords I just made up my own songs Because like I wanted to learn, let's say I want to learn play F, and there's no song that I can play with a F chord, so I just end up pretending that I'm, I've got this song that I'm playing F and C whatever. So that eventually led me to like writing my own songs. So uh, yeah, it it was more kind of accidental rather than I was thinking, oh, I want to be a songwriter. Let's learn the craft of song. That that came much much later. And and how do you eventually end up as a roadie? Because when say by by the time I was and for a and for big bands yeah how old you well because by that time I was writing songs for Rami Sarip you what which which one uh, Orang Kota the okay. Perjalanan Hidup album I think that was the third solo album ah okay first one was uh, Ada Panah Beracun uh, and then the second one was Bukan Kerana Nama and then the third one is Perjalanan Hidup so mm-hmm. what happened was by the time I reached 17 uh, around that around my my pre-u days I was listening not just Malay music and American or Western music I was listening to also made in Singapore local English music yeah. and Chris Ho The Count was one of those mm. uh, Dick Lee also was producing stuff but uh, I was more into Chris Ho The Count Lounge you know his Tex-Mex yeah. Americana style so I'm like wow this is cool man and then there's like wow local Singaporean writing songs in English yeah. so so and And because I I I used to well I I I still read in both languages Malay and English so I kind of become conversant and able to do both do both yeah. so I ended up trying to write songs in Malay and writing songs in English and then performing in cl- school talent time or teachers day and all just just bashing my way through like you know without any clear indication where it's going to but it was like look I want to do it just do it and form a band or get my friends to 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 join me those who can play some instruments you know. Um, so that led me kind of writing English and Malay. So so I was writing these two things, and then and I thought, well, why not? I just try and push my English songs. So what happened was I recorded acoustic versions of my English songs recorded in the toilet. Toilet, eh? Home toilet, because we got the acoustic. I mean, we didn't have all these, you know, gadgets and or. To record to have a home studio was too expensive, you know. Yeah, and it was this. Don't you get a reverb thingy? I mean, small, like, tight space, okay. but you know, you just to get that kind of slightly reverb, okay. you know, acoustic sound, you know, which and record using a cassette player. I didn't know what demo was. All I knew was like I can just record this and hopefully send it to somebody. So I recorded a couple of songs and then I was I start. I did a cold call. What I did was yellow pages. Remember yellow pages? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I I flipped through yellow pages and the going one like they want to beat up people and then they use yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So that's the other function of yellow pages, right? <laughs> Apart from uh, from from address, is like address other issues, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I was going doing that. Okay, like music production. They were like, oh, there's uh, local companies that do music production. I just go, I love, uh, you know give cold call. I I got my own songs. I was like 17, 18. I got my songs. Are you guys interested? He goes, yeah, yeah, come and send your stuff. So I was sending to Polygram. I sent to Warner Music. I sent to one or two production houses. And then this was in the eighties. This was nineteen eighty-seven, eighty-eight. Okay. And the eighty-six, eighty-seven, actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously you know I, I, I met up with guys in, in Polygram and they go like uh, actually no we, we're not interested and then I went to Warner Music and le- which I left my, my cassette there and then I met Jimmy Wee who's the managing director for, for, for Warner Music Singapore and then I, I actually met him in person and he said um, I've listened to your stuff you know your songs are okay they're quite good but you can't sing Mm. Uh, to be fair, la, I mean, I was not a trained singer. I mean, yeah. un- until recently, I realized maybe I wasn't that good a singer. Uh, uh, I mean, I've never been a confident singer. You know, yeah. I, I was more into songwriting. So he said, oh, why don't you leave your songs here? We'll try to get someone to record it uh, and, you know, and then we'll see. And I was, you know, I was arrogant teenager. Like, no, 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 I'll just take my songs back. You know, I'll just take it. So on the, when I went to take the demo tape back, I turned around. Lo and behold, it was Ramli Sarip. Because he was signed to Warner Music. Okay. Oh. So I turn around and then there's Ramin Zarib, right? And I go like, okay, this is Ramin Zarib. What should I say to him? Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> I, I should have said that. I should have said that. I, I would have said that. Now, you know, I would, have, I would have said that. But instead, I went direct for direct marketing. Bang Ramli, saya ada lagu rock. You know, translated, Bang Ramli, I've got this set of rock songs. Would you like me to listen to them? And I said, yeah, just... Send it to the reception you know? So I was like Yeah okay I'll do that So I went home And recorded my Malay songs Because the English songs Got rejected So I recorded the Malay songs It's like a three or four songs And the next day I went back And left it at the reception I didn't think about it at all I was like yeah whatever You know uh, But a week later He You know There's no mobile phones back then So I left my phone number Home number So I was Playing soccer At the void deck With my friends Still huh at that time, you know, yeah, yeah. In fact, in, in, not, it was at the, the quadrangle in between the two blocks. <laughs> so, uh, so my mum, because I was living on the third floor, my mum said, hey, there's a phone call for you. Fazin, telephone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stand from up. Yeah, so she didn't know who it, who it was. Okay. I didn't know who it was. I was like, well, I got a phone call. But from the tone of the voice, surely she knows what. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think, I mean, she, even if she, even if she yeah, had thought it sounded familiar, right? yeah, she wouldn't have imagined so, right? So what happened was I picked up the phone and he was like, So, you know, he said, I'm going to use one of your songs, right? Orang Kota. So he know. called you personally. Yeah, because, he, because he, I left my number. Cause, so he called me personally and I said, oh. then I put down the phone and go like, shit, man, that's Ramli Sarif. He just yeah, called me. Right. Freaking legend, sir. And he's going to use one of my songs. Mm. That feeling is hard to duplicate. The only thing that you can duplicate is either when you got straight A's for your A-levels, <laughs> you know, that, or you can have yeah. lottery first prize, mm-hmm. a couple of million bucks, which I haven't got. Yeah. yeah, But it's a very euphoric feeling, unbelievable. Because this is a, I mean, he was at his prime. You know, he had like, Correct, yeah. his last album was a big hit, Bukan Kerana Nama, you know. Yeah. So, and he was re- going to record on you. So, and I'm like, I'm this, what, 17, 18 year old kid 
I'm getting a, my song recorded by this the Bruce Springsteen of Malay music. Exactly. Yeah, that's the way yeah. to put it, man. Right. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm like, well, I was like jumping up and down. So I told one of my closest friends, you know, like, look, I'm gonna, it's unbelievable. So, and then obviously I don't know what's gonna happen next. So I said, I call, I, I think he left a number. So I called him and said, so what's next? Oh, I'm recording and then gonna release the album. I wasn't at the recording of the album. Eventually, when he released it, I I I came to one of the concerts. So. From then on, we communicated. So and, and he was hanging out at Busra Street, at uh, Maktaba Marini, this bookshop, old bookshop, uh, Islamic bookshop. Uh, his friend, uh, the late uh, Faris Marini. Uh, so he was, he inherited the bookshop from his family. So he was managing the bookshop. At the time, a small office, and they all became friends. So he ended up managing Ramli Sarip, kind of getting booking his gigs and stuff like that. So that became his so-called port, you know, yeah. places to hang out. So that's where I went. This was way before what Kampung Glam is today. This was like, you know, at the end of the road, it was still a old Kopitiam. The Baisarabai was still under a tree somewhere there, you know. So I managed to catch a glimpse of the old, and there was a Kampung Glam area. There was one coffee shop where all the guys selling expensive watch collectors were hanging out, you know, all these kind of shady deals going on. <laughs> the, you know, Singapore was still rough, a bit rough yeah. that time. You know, there was still Sungai Road, you know. So I, I, I managed to kind of like hang out with him as and when. And then I went to national service. Whenever I'm out, I'll find where he was, you know, I'll find out where he was and then I'll just hang out. So eventually when he started recording, I'll just hang out with him for, for the projects. And then it kind of progressed into, oh, I've got this song. Can you do the lyrics? And I need it by tonight. You're young, you're fresh. You're like two lyrics in one go, four lyrics in a day. Because you're young and you're reading and you know, you got all this, just, just whatever story you like, you know, yeah. so you, you, there was no restriction. Yeah. So we kind of work around that. So from there, it progressed into him going to KL, Malaysia to do his road tours, right? Yeah. He will perform. That's where he go like, would you like to come along? Yeah. And just hang out and maybe help carry my guitar and be my Rudy, you know, like. So it was kind of very ad hoc kind of thing, you know, hanging out and then obviously I didn't get paid. But I get to travel, I get to enjoy the journey and learn the ropes of the trade, you know. So you would say that he gave you the break? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, you look, if you write my life story without mentioning Rami Sarip in my, from my music uh, career, then it will be a loophole there. There will be an empty space. But yeah, he, he, you know, he, 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 he gave us that. I mean, it was kind of a, a win-win situation where we were young talents songwriters and he needed that fresh blood he needed you know fresh ideas looking at things uh writing lyrics or even giving songs you know so we we were we were giving him that at the same time he was also giving us that kind of experience oh, yeah. kind of Im impromptu or rather very unofficial uh mentorship yeah. you know and that's how the the malay brothers used to work you know like that's how they kind of you hang out with us you become our co coffee boy you know, you, you just sit in the corner, listen, we let you hang out. But if you run, you become our errand boy. Okay, go and buy coffee, go and buy roti bakar. Mm -hmm. So, so it was that kind of Malay style mentoring system, you know, unofficial, but you kind of learn by observing. The apprentice. Appren yeah. yeah. So I, I was lucky enough to, when I was growing up, I had these people who were unofficial mentors. I just kind of look, I see these are, you know, they are interesting characters that I can learn from. There's Rami Sarip, there's Eddie Marzuki from Fly Bates, mm -hmm. Dr. Wan Zawawi, mm -hmm. who, you know, he was also a songwriter, but also a, a professor. 
for yeah. uh, kan in 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 Malaysia. I mean, he's retired now. So, so these are people that I l- learn from the from the wings, pick up and go like, ah, okay, that's interesting. Ah, that's cool. I'll I'll take that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So so I I managed again back to the question how did I become a roadie? So that was my journey, and then from there I hang out. I mean, met up Malaysian chapter of the music music industry. You know those guys in KL. And then the music industry, the Malay music industry shifted to Kuala Lumpur in 85, 86 when the currency exchange happened, right? Because that last time it was a dollar for dollar, dollar for ringgit. Then it then became, you know, and then, and then all the exchange rate differed. So it was it was wise for the multinational like Warner Music to shift their Malay departments to KL because that's where the bulk of the Malay market is Malaysia. Right. Even in Piramli days, the bulk of the Malay market was still Malaysia. The cinemas. It's just that the production was done in Singapore, yeah. because Singapore had the technology. We had the recording studios like EMI, the cut at McDonald's house, and then obviously the there's one more to the Lion Studio. Lion Studios, yeah, yeah Lion it's still Studio. still there. Yeah. So so and then we had Jalan Ampas. So Singapore was the center for the arts because we had the technology to create products so movies but the market was still Malaysia. the larger population side of of the Malay market which is Malaysia unfortunately we did not hang we did not manage to 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 fuse with the Indonesian market because obviously there were some differences in the historical factor because they were dutch uh, they, they they inherited from the dutch uh, ex dutch colonies and the language the differ in terms of How they use the 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 the, the intonation language intonation? Of the, yeah, they yeah. use standardized Baku, uh, you know, like like Queen's English type of you know pronunciation. Whereas we use more like the Riau Malay, which is not uh, not ah, but we use the uh, which is more a bit colloquial. Yeah. Well, they they kind of standardize it throughout Indonesia. But but if you go to Riau Island, Sumatra, they speak like the Malays in Singapore and Malaysia. Correct. Yeah. Right. But when they speak in school and officially, it becomes a standardized thing, right? Baku, but their Baku has a very nice mel- mel- melody to it. It's very melodic. When it's very sweet. So when Singapore, when Sidit Sanev came out with the papers to to introduce Baku in Singapore, approved by by Lee Kuan Yew himself, they forgot to teach people how to pronounce it in a certain way. They just said you need to speak Baku, pronounce the R as R U S U. But you know, if you learn Queen's English, you see the Queen and people like the Queen and their class speak like that. Yeah. Right. So you can follow, you can copy. Whereas Baku Singapore, that is no example. This is the issue. I have no issue with sebutan Baku, but the, the fact that they are forcing it down people's throat. Correct. Yeah, without, I, I agree with you. Yeah, that. without yeah. having an example, so you end up this kind of. Weird version, robotic. Saya tidak tahu kenapa saya tidak ke sekolah. Just like how my daughter speaks. Yeah. <laughs> whereas, whereas if there had been a proper example, they would have said, "Saya tidak tahu kenapa saya ke sekolah." So if they the had one, the, the accent, because the accent that we have in school is not local. It's not even Nusantara local. It's just robotic. So that's the issue. Like they, they, they. It was a weak point that they overlooked. They think, okay, since we teach, it's very theory based. The theory, okay, you must speak in a certain way, and this is how you pronounce the words. Yeah. So they forget the intonation. What they could have done was play a lot of Indonesian movies on TV. The movies, 
would influence the way people speak. And this happened in the 70s when a lot of Indonesian movies were shown on TV. Right. What they should have done is, you know, showed a lot of Indonesian movies on TV that eventually it will influence the way people speak okay. in a certain way, you know. Because, uh, like I said, you, you know, if you want to learn a Queen's English, you can learn from the Queen or that <laughs> class, yeah. you know. Okay. Um, but they just kind of created this whole theory, you know, based on a the theory and then conceptualize it and then and then throw it into the schools. And so in then, other words, they just throw it down your throat. Yeah, take it, and then you, it, and yeah, you and you do it, yeah. whatever, you know. So you end up going very ro very very robotic, you know. You know, because I'm I'm saying the influence of Indonesian film because th that's how they speak and it sounds nicer. Like you know, saya tidak ke sekolah, saya tidak ke sekolah. So yeah. there is that you know, yeah. the me melodic thing which sounds nicer and it's more natural and it's spoken in the region. Yeah. No one speaks Baku like Mal Singapore Malays. In this region, maybe they want a Singapore identity, Singapore Baku Malay. You but, can't, yeah, it, it, no, but you can't have. Uh, I think you can't have the Malay language right as an identity of it of its own because it's a borrowed language at the end of the day. Mm, 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 mm. So and the Malaysians have a certain style to speak a borrowed language and so does the Indonesian. But Singapore Malay is more or less more Malaysian Malay with a bit of a different twang. Uh. I mean, it depends on what period in history because if you look at Piramli films, quite a lot of the actors were from Sumatra and Java. Yeah. So they all speak like, like you know, with the R. Mm. Uh, so they have that intonation as well. Uh, but they should have, you know, done that kind of thing. Invited poets, speakers. So you and then you maybe even teach people how, you know. So do you have a certain way of speaking? Uh, because the Riau Malay is Johor, Singapore, and certain island, uh, certain parts of Riau, Sumatra. But you go up Kedah. Yeah, it's a different. It's a different, yeah. you know. Right. And, they, and they, they they speak their own form of Baku, but it's their natural way of speaking, right? Um, but the the when they introduced Baku was also in tandem with Malaysia introducing Bahasa Baku. So I don't know whether there is a, a kind of movement that they want to create this kind of a formalized way of speaking things like pronouncing R and R, you know, A-S-R, U-S-U, you know. But I'm saying that it's important to have those movies because, you know, the Mat Rock speak Gualu. Yeah. Uh -huh. That is from Indonesian film. Betul. When the Indonesian Betawi, the, the, one, the Batavians, mm. the Jakarta Indonesians, you know, they, they speak in that manner, Gualu, which is actually from Hokkien. Gualo, Gualo. It's, it's Hokkien, which, because the influence of uh, the Chinese community in Betawi culture is very strong. Because they, 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 you know, they, they have become part of Indonesian community. They have homo kind of almost homogenized into the, 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 into, into the countries, uh, you know, as, as part of the community. Um, so, you know, there's all that counting. In fact, in fact, Dondang Sayang and the Indonesian version in Jakarta, which is Gambang Kromong, is similar. Mm. It's just that Dondang Sayang is more standardized and used panto. Well, Gambang Kromong is played in, in Chinese community, Indonesian Chinese community yeah. events, and they go all night long, like Dondang Sayang, because they can just, it's the same pattern, rhythm, music, and they just go on with their pantone and very kind of like spoken word, jam, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean that that's what I think they should have uh, done with the with the language thing. But now they are trying to enforce a certain way of speaking, right? And and students are being asked to speak in a certain way during uh, school oral exams. You know, I mean yeah. you can't blame the kids because they have no 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 
when there's no reference point. Yeah. The only time they speak like that is when they're in class with the teachers, and the teacher also kind of made it up as they go along. Murid, murid, kita semua harus ke sana ya. It's it's hor it's bullshit. It's horrible. It's that's not you know that's not how you speak. You you don't you don't make it sound attractive. Human beings love melody. That's why music is big. To, you know, and we like to listen to the sound of birds. Anything that's nice, you know. So, and and you're trying to enforce a a, a non-existent way of speaking. I mean, you say okay, speak like Indonesian. At least you know, there's a there's an example, you know. But you know they're trying to enforce that. So, uh, and and that is creating that kind of. I'll just speak this way in classroom. Once I'm off the class, I will just speak English. Obviously now, and yeah, actually that's true. No, even in class, when they speak that, right, and when they go out, they just speak English. Yeah. During our time, when we go out, we speak Malay, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, although we speak English pretty well in class and things like that, but it's not a success. This Basa Baku thing has been going on for what past fifteen years? Yeah, it's a long time, long time. So I mean, there are there have been, it's been raised by other intellectuals, also other people in the community, but it's been kind of. You know, it's been made to quiet down. Don't, don't, don't bring up the issue because I guess they want to say it. They don't want to say this is the wrong. It's it's been a wrong move because the challenges with the Malay community or Malay language is the fact that okay, everything is in English now. You know, so you you can't blame the generation. Everything you get on social media is in English, but at the same time, you have also the other hand that this version of speaking is not popular. So you end up. I mean, human beings. You'll just switch whatever that's convenient. And we can't go back to square one. You see, okay. Uh, this basa baku thing is not working out. Uh, guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's just go back, guys. Yeah, yeah. So because you you can't because then you're just saying that uh, it's a wrong policy, <laughs> right? We might stop like on this one. Stop right? two doesn't work anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so no no. So people don't they don't want. It's you know it's a face saving factor. We know that you know they can't lose face, right? But it needs to be dealt with because the no no matter. I mean I'm involved in. Producing programs for the Malay Language Month every year for the last seven eight years. Mm-hmm. I just finished one last week, the children's singing competition, which I create. A, I mean, I I I uh, uh, created that 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 brand where you know kids come and sing. Yeah. Primary school kids sing their uh, competition singing um, uh, Malay folk songs just to keep it alive, right? But the issue is, if it's Malay Language Month, what's the national language? Malaysia. Shouldn't it be a national issue? Uh-huh. Shouldn't it be a national event? Shouldn't shouldn't Malay Singapore is interesting. Majority of the population do not speak the national language. It's the only country in the world, probably, where the majority of the population is not conversant in the national language. It's ironical. It's hypocritical, even. Come uh-huh. think of it, huh? Yeah. Right? Why? Why? Why not make? I brought the issue up. They say, "Oh no, no, it's only for the Malay." So, so Malay, Malay, Chinese, Chinese, Indian, Indian, divide and control. You know, it's like your national day. Here comes the Kompang beat, plak 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 plak. Here comes the Indian beat, tabla, gedang 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 gedang. Here comes the Chinese beat, oh, a dragon boat runs, or dum 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 dum. Okay, here's all together in national harmony. Kerbang kerbung kerbang kerbang roja. <laughs> You know, I mean, I've been talking about yeah. this for so long. It's not even a, it's not even a national secret anymore. I hate national day events yeah. because it's so cheesy and it's very, uh, it's 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 fake. It's not real. You know, you need to let it develop organically. It cannot be created by people's association. 
You've seen the CCP creating the natu- uh, National Day not? on TV. <laughs> well, I'm sure there is some, some similar, uh, you know, sim- sim- similarities, you know. I don't know who's copying who, you know, who's advising whom, you know. I mean, so, yeah, so I, I, I think that, you know, like, like I said, the irony of ironies, like, like, you know, a majority of the population does not speak the national language, you know. Somebody recently brought it up, like maybe they should teach Malay in school, but not a, not not a, a a school, not an exam subject. Yeah, because I mean, it, some can speak Malay, but they don't understand the meaning of it. A lot of people, you know, say the sing the national day. I was just going to get to that. Yeah? Uh, no, no, wait. The thing is, uh, I can <laughs> sum they... this up pretty well. Okay, <laughs> honestly, let's get straight uh, between berseru and bersatu. And bersatu. The most basic of basics ah, marilah kita bersatu kan, and berseru is the other one, right? Uh, it, it's all it's all mixed up, mixed up, you know. Yeah, because well, who's checking the the diction during national during during your every morning? Yeah, that sing, uh, sing along, uh, right? National anthem, yeah. National anthem, yeah. So they they don't nobody check, and there's like no class specific class. Well, national uh, song, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, national anthem. Uh, singing class <laughs> Right you No know, they teach They have music classes But they don't teach You just kind of Pick up as you go along And you mumble your way along yeah. as you Going through the motion Yeah Because you know In front there's two There's two One or two kids With the microphone Who will be singing it correctly Yes And then And then they go like The important bit is the Majula Sing up Yeah And then when that part got, Marilah kita And mumble 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 <laughs> It's called Marikita, by the way, uh, that song. <laughs> you heard it, right? That's Marikita. You know, the, the fuck the, is Marikita, sir? So, the song, the song actually, the real, the, the real song is actually very long. I've heard the, I think it's on, on YouTube, the original version, the arrangement. Oh, okay, okay. So, they kind of shorten it because they needed it for the national anthem. But it was actually written for the civil club or something, civil service club. Mm. Or one of those civil service organization type, you know, where it was a theme song or, or a, a, a song for, for that organization. And then when they wanted a national anthem, they kind of used that. I see. Uh, yeah, that oh. was the history behind it, I think. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a, I've heard the longer version of it, so they kind of like make it short and sweet, which is, which is very... It's a nice song. It's a, it's a good song. It, it does bring up the emotion and the kind of fervor and spirit. And since you talk about emotion, the recent rendition that Ramli Sarip did of the national anthem, yeah. to me, that was good. Hmm. It, to me, la, I mean, it right, brings right. out the emotion and everything. But a lot of people hate it, which I don't understand why. Uh, well, Ram, Ramli Sarip did it on his his own terms. Yeah. Like, you know, he's a blues singer. He's, you know, essentially a blues rock singer. So his interpretation of the lyrics is... It is heartfelt and... Yes, that's the thing. Heartfelt. He sings it with emotion. Because he, he understands the lyrics. He understands the meaning word for yeah. word. So the, the, the issue is when... A non-Malay speaker listens to the song, that version, mm-hmm. in that kind of emotion without understanding the words. Yes. So that's when you go like, how come it sounds like a funeral song? Ah? Yes. More I mean, I've, I've seen, like, I've seen yeah. the, yeah, the, you know, the, the comments online, and whatnot. Yeah. Online comments, which is, uh, you can't blame the non-Malay speakers to take it at that level because they don't speak the language. And they hear the emotion, they hear the heaviness of the voice and the the mood itself you know um could he has he could he could he had done another version 
perhaps could there have been a, a three I, I mean if I do something I would have like three versions of it mm-hmm. and you know like you kind of do a trial and a test with friends like is it my relax my song relax brother had 10 versions what the 10 huh? okay. I had 10 versions I was recorded you know 10 different versions reggae pop blah 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 I think I got confused <laughs> it's one Honestly, of the, it's one of the version baku relax brother brother <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately I didn't get that way because we d- definitely wanted to be relax brother you know? <laughs> so so I I, got, I mean I got so confused that I, I, I let a, a friend listen and go like you help me pick up which is the best version. He said, ah, this one, this one. And that was the version that I used. Oh. Yeah, yeah. The, the current version that you hear on radio. So, sometimes you need that. You need that. I mean, with the current technology, you are able to do songs with many different versions, yeah. you know? Multiple takes. Right? Yeah. yeah, multiple takes. You can work on your laptop and stuff like that, right? So, so I think it was a lack of foresight yeah. in terms of the planners and people who wanted to do the NDP and all that. They wanted to get a very big name in the industry but he was he's big in the Malay community so the 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 weakness was they should have introduced him like one two months before national day yeah. put him on eight days front cover who a is promo, Ramisari promotion yeah what what is eight days the, uh, <laughs> magazine yeah whatever yeah. I mean I the, mean like when seven days is not is enough this, is this still eight. around <laughs> I, I think the online version I think I'm, I'm sure there's uh, some uh, yeah, there's or oh, mothership la. let's put it on yeah, uh, like yeah something online yeah, yeah, some, yeah. something online that can promote Ramis, who is Ramis Harib he's I mean, he's, he's, he's got long history. You, when you talk about of Singapore course, rock, yeah. he's a you legend. Can, you cannot take Ramli Sarri out of the equation. You know, yeah. he's done national theatre when long hair was being banned. Long, males with long hair would be served last. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, remember you know. those days when Malaysia banned long hair and then yeah, after he yeah. stayed true to... Yeah, you know? yeah. So, so, but you know, the, the lack of wisdom in the planners is that you should have introduced him way back. Like, okay, one, two months, who is Ramli Sarip? Who is he historically? And then the majority of the population who don't know him because they are not Malay-speaking people, they don't speak the language, they don't know him, his music career and all that, will go, oh, he's a celebrity. Oh, he is famous. He is in the same era as so and so and so. And then he appears at National Day. You know, but you cannot just parachute Ramli Sarip into National Day performance without telling people who, who he is. Likewise, if it had been me, they go, who is he? I've been, I've been away for quite some time. They go, like, I mean, some people may, may know who I am, but there are quite a majority who, who, who is he? You know, so you need that kind of introduction. Then you kind of push it in a big way, you know. Yeah. Then it becomes grand. Yeah. You know, you, you've done, you biggie it up and all yeah. that, you know. So, and then, just, just on the, the other hand, it's like just, just, just a, 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 a tip off. Everything is pre recorded, it's all lip sync. What? Oh shit! <laughs> really? Damn. Yep. Mm. I pecah lubang, brother. Ah, lubang, brother. Because, brother. Because, brother. <laughs> because why? Because no mistake is allowed. Oh mm. yeah, yeah. Back to CCP, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything because the planners are from the military, uh-huh. so you need to be yep. in in that kind of you know that strictness and make sure that you know everything looks good on TV. It's for TV. All right, everything because yeah, I mean you have the crowd, but the you know the rest of the five point six million people are on on TV are watching on TV. Yeah, probably so, one million watching. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, so so it needs to have that perfection without any somebody decide to add lip some lyrics which is not supposed to be there. You know, 
Yeah, oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It could have been a huge <laughs> cock up, man. Yeah, I go. Some people just hijack yeah. my like act silly. Like stop, 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 stop. Uh, I want to change the song. I'm sure those behind the control, if on the their hand is on the stop button, just waiting only. <laughs> Oops, technical glitch. All right, switch to the switch to the rehearsal version. <laughs> and okay, we we're long into this, man. Um, and then you form Raushan Fiki. Yeah, yeah, because at that time it was the the era of the Malay slow rock, a lot of bands were you know all the rock Malay rock stuff. The the, the the thing about this is you could have easily done a search or a wings or an eclim or anything like that, but you you kind of formed like a a folksy band because that was our calling. We were like okay because you know we just, we 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 were just like just do it. we didn't even think whether is it sellable or not. We just like we just want to do it this way. Right, and then it was own pro- own production. We didn't, we couldn't have got signed by a label because we were we were going against the the stream. Mm-hmm. You know, we were swimming against the tide. You know, so if we had, if we had done rock, yeah, we could have sold it. You know, yeah. so but we so we just kind of like pull our money to whatever money that we can scrape off, <laughs> and then we just hire a studio, and then we just kind of got our producer to work with us, Eddie Marzuki from Flybeats, yeah. and then yeah, and then we just kind of like produce the first album you know it's not a perfect album technically but it's got a very strong energy because yeah. we just wanted to do it to make sure that it comes out so then only when uh, I got signed to Pony Canyon to do my solo stuff and then later on the second album was distributed by BMG and all that yeah but we were very much in indie before indie was yeah. in, in in you know yeah. Yeah. And talk us through the years of Raushan Fiki and how you guys actually... So, because we, we were all like, okay, me and the late Isham Jamil were school friends in Amon Kupriu. Yeah. So, he he was into all this poetic stuff and listened to a lot of Indonesian music. Yeah. I was different, listening to U2, the Duran Duran, the Cure. I was listening to all that stuff. At the same time, listening to Led Zeppelin. I was like schizophrenic with my yeah. music, man. I'm like everything inside. And then my friend here, who's like uh, into poetry writing so but we had obviously we were around the same age and we had this idea that yeah we want to create this kind of music yeah. so and then that's how it happened yeah. uh, the name Roshan Fikir I nicked it off from I think it was newspaper that I read somewhere and I thought this sounds like a nice band name you know mm-hmm. so I used to carry on this black notebook like you know the police black book small yeah one? the full one yeah, yeah. I'll, you know, I used to have it during national uh, NS days right not the triple five book uh. no 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 okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> I stay away from far from it <laughs> Yeah, so so I got it. So I just keep. I, I mean, till today when I have like a little black book, I just write down stuff, you know. Yeah. Then so I just got noted. So when we wanted to find a name, I so I I asked those the, those guys like, this is was it this name okay? They say yeah, sounds alright. So we just thought we'll use the name Raushan Fikir, which means thinkers in Persian. Yeah. Yeah. So that and then yeah, then we just kind of like uh, produce the album and then we managed to get a distributor. And then printer, and then from there the distribution in Malaysia. So we had it promoted in Malaysia, as well. So yeah, that was that was how it, it kind of uh, happened. And at that time there was a lot of programs going around, like radio had like even live shows, you know. So they, we got invited to perform, and then there were a lot of a lot of like road shows, performances from different organizations. So we just we just did whatever we we can get our hands on, you know. I mean, you guys had the opportunity back then with uh, with these shows, with Live on Five, with whatever that they had with Asia Bagos and things like that. But now, uh, they only have Baybeats. 
Yeah, so that that's the thing. I've been I've been talking about this for quite a while since in fact 2015 I brought it up. I I, I gave a talk uh, to a, uh, to a group of young people and I I said and I asked them like, name me the most famous. Okay, for example, I said if a, if a friend of yours from overseas comes to Singapore and he said, look, I want to buy your product from a cultural icon. Right? I mean, if you go to Jamaica, you buy Bob Marley t-shirts, mugs, whatever yeah. that's legal to be brought home, right? Yeah. Right? Uh, if you go to uh, London, you buy probably a Beatles thing. I mean, you know, yeah. musical icon, Beatles or Rolling Stones or the Queen's photo, whatever, right? Yeah. So, if somebody from overseas comes to Singapore and they're like, I want to buy something then to show that I've been to Singapore. I want to buy your cultural icon product. You know? The white shirt and white pants. Yeah, so... so <laughs> So, so for, for it to be a cultural icon, you have to have the merchandise, yeah. right? So you have your Elvis badge, your Beatles mug. So, yeah. so you have the tote bag, the t-shirt, right? right? The, the, the marks, the t-shirt, tote bags, whatever, right? The umbrella and all that, yeah. keychain. And I asked him, do you have anybody there? And they throw me a few names. Like, yeah, I mean, those names exist, Ang Ping Xiong, Fandi Yama, but they are known nationally and also regionally, some internationally, yeah. but they have not become cultural heroes. You know, like we look at a certain era, and those was. I mean, you look at Argentina. You know, Diego Maradona from eighties to certain period, he was the hero. Pele in Brazil and all that, right? And then they say, "Oh yeah," I say, "Yeah, those people exist, but they don't have tote bags, keychains, t-shirts that you can sell to your friends." But to I commemorate say, them. Uh, yeah. yeah, but but we do have, and we do have this cultural icon. With, with tote bags and keychains and t-shirts and they say who? I say it's the Malayan <laughs> <laughs> and that's oh, the state man. that's the sad state of Singapore uh-huh. cultural landscape you don't have local heroes a make-believe um. yeah I mean it's, it's nicked off from mystical uh, it's a myth from yeah. different cultures if you go on Wikipedia there's like different cultures have used the yeah. the male and female fish lion thing it's, uh-huh. it's you know it's not it's not Greek kind of stuff. Greek, yeah. uh, Sanskrit. There's, there's different, you know, I mean, obviously, cultural influences intertwine along the way, right? When they yeah. meet up at trade routes and all that. So, I mean, that is a sad state of affairs. You got a freaking uh, statue spewing out water and then selling t-shirts of that. And that is Singapore. Yeah. It should have been Fandi Ama, It should have been Art Fazil. It should have been Rami Sarif. It should have been mm. Dick Lee, Chris Ho. Uh, Venus Cornelius, you know, uh, the Quest, Ismail Harun. Mm. That should have happened, but it got stuck in the 60s. In 1965 to 70, a lot of local records was being done. Whether it's Malay, whether it's uh, Hokkien, but there was a national identity forming. You know, people were borrowing each other's music. People were, were jamming in each other's recordings. You know, the Quest was even recording stuff in English and Malay. You know, Siva Choi yeah. was doing, you know, he's doing stuff. There was like so many and they were selling local records. They were doing gigs at tea dancers. Mm-hmm. There were gigs for local bands, work for local musicians, money to be made by local venues. And those guys used to dress up well, money to be made by local tailors. In 1970, Singapore banned rock music on radio. They did, huh? You can, I mean, this is on Google. You Google it, Singapore bans rock music because of yellow culture, so-called yellow culture. As Raja Ratnam, it, it's quoted, oh, we're trying to ban yellow culture. So, Jukebox cannot play rock music. Maze with long hair will be served last, right? Woodstock, the movie, was shown only in Johor Bahru. Amazing. Right, so... I didn't know about this. So, I didn't know either. Though. Yeah, so, so, the, so you, you kind of blocked it. So, so suddenly, bans dis, disbanded. No job, no work. 
yeah. there's no tea dances to play to you cannot play certain kind of music you, you can't you know you can't sell records anymore so you kind of like died down for a while 1970 was the year Singapore music died I mean imagine imagine if that had been allowed to bloom from the 60s music obviously music grow I mean we we are influenced by the whatever's happening in, in the international landscape mm. so you know a different sort of music would have happened in the 70s yeah. so that would have created a new breed of musicians and the the, the one that, that were in the 60s could have become record producers yeah. or you know record label uh, executives because they have the know-how by then and that moved on to the 1980s 90s that could have been Singapore but no we, it's been a start and stop 60s we had a nice wonderful time and then it got blocked you know I mean it stopped for a while and then in the late 70s there was like um, uh, Western Union band who was playing in Hong Kong and then they, they had the fame you know the, the, the song South Solito I mean it's a well produced record I love that I used to listen to that when I was a kid and then it's kind of died down again and then in the 80s it, late mid 80s late 80s it picked up again with Tokyo Square with the new remain with the Class X album and then even uh, and then uh, even Polygram had their own uh, set of albums called Studio Line where they, they, they recorded local bands who were club bands yeah. but recorded you know their own lo- uh, made in Singapore music and then that died down again and then in the 90s I came, came in with you know different all AWOL and Cake and all those guys and Construction Site and, and that kind of happened again right with, with, with corporate money from Pony Canyon Records Japan from Fuji Sanke TV Network and then they had Asia Bagus so 90s was like probably the very last period where we had uh, an, an attempt at the golden age of Singapore music. So the factory kind of shut down mm-hmm. for 20 years and then you came up with Sometime When I Feel Blue mm, mm. and I think that is one of the best local song ever produced, man. Right, I'm telling you, you honestly. Thank you, thank you. But that could have, 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 have happened if not for uh, people like Chris Ho, uh, Dick Lee because they were doing Nobody was listening to Made in Singapore English, English songs in the, in the 80s, yeah. late 80s, you know? Like, I mean, the production quality wasn't that great either yeah. to begin with, right? Uh, but, I mean, Jimmy Wee with Warner Music was brave enough to find money somewhere within the company's budget to like, like okay, just record your stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, Fried Rice Paradise was recorded and then it became a theatre production yeah, and all yeah. that, right? So, but what I think broke it was uh, broke the scene was a Matt Chinaman album. I was Dickley, just about to say that, right? Yeah. So it was apparently it was supposed to be Dickley's last English album, and then he's going to give up and do other things, fashion or theater, or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, but that caught the attention and imagination of the Japanese market, mm. because it, because it's rather a kind of a mixed blend of kind of local with Indian music. My name was playing tabla, and then there's all the Erhu stuff and English oh, yeah. lyrics. So, I mean, it's a bit kish and it's a bit kind of designed kish, you know, kind of like, yeah, it's meant to be that way rather than it was something they're attempting to be cool, but it didn't happen. I think it was rather by design. That it, I mean, it's more theatrical as well because obviously the, the guys involved in the production are also part of the theatre scene. So that caught on the, the, the Japanese market and he went in to do big tours in, in, in Japan. And that's where the Japanese thought, ah, here's an interesting market in Asia. So they kind of came in and opened up Pony Canyon Records and then they, they kind of got Jimmy Wee to run Pony Canyon. And that's where the, we had this, I mean, I got signed as a solo artist, although I'm with uh, Russian VK, then I got signed to, uh, uh, and, and then obviously uh, um, 
construction site, cake, and then obviously with the with the corporate support, we had the the promotion department yeah. so that we don't have to do the legwork. They were in contact the radio station, yeah. the promo. So we needed that the record label support, you know, the the whole structure, and even doing gigs, doing shows. I mean, we were doing everything from NUS Jam and Hop to. Christmas events at shopping malls to the Singapore bandstand at Lido Theatre, which is now like sealed up. So it was a good time, and 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 most importantly, radio was very supportive. They played local music, and we were in the chart. That's where my song "Sometimes Feel Blue" went to the charts, and we had "Live on Five, produced by Rose Sivam, right? So "Live on Five gave it's a bit like Singapore bandstand. It showcased local talents, and we when whoever's got a new album. You put your play your single in that in that particular uh, uh, TV program. By the end of the evening, the you know the the viewers would have known who you are. Yeah. So that's why I keep stressing the importance of television. Yes, internet is important and and all that. But it's the when the TV is on when people are having dinner, when the TV is on when people are having a chat and you're like oh who's that ah it can't it creeps into your subconscious, and the national psyche. That is what is lacking now. Is it by design? Is no one paying attention? You can give all your NEC funding till whenever you know, it will not reignite because there is lack of consciousness within the heartlander community. You need to make the Singapore arts as popular as a fast food joint, yeah. so that even the guy who don't buy your CD knows who you are. Mm. Yes, like, of course. Like see, uh, back then, it was hard for local bands to showcase their music and. What not, and you know what? It's even harder now because of one more thing, K-pop. Right. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> right. Well, K-pop again because these are all phenomena that you. It's hard. It's everywhere now. You, it's hard to fight against the type because uh, it's huge because it yeah. it appeals to the uh, cupcake generation. Cupcake. Yeah. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All the sweet stuff and. Okay. Uh, quick, uh, cute, cutesy, cutesy. You know, pastel color, light, lip sync <laughs> culture. You know. Yeah, they don't care. Kids will pay three hundred bucks to watch a concert where the the singer is not singing; it's lip syncing, and but they're moving with the lights and everything. You know, the dance moves. Yeah, and everything. yeah. I think yeah. Uh, Korea actually invested quite a bit. Uh, I'm talking about the Korean government uh, to bring them from where they are. Yeah. Into uh to to where they are right now because they were previously like uh there's not much of a toss up between north and south. And then the government invested heavily, looking at the success of J-pop and 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 things like that, and J- Japanese football and culture, fashion. And then Korea kind of followed suit, so they came up with the K-pop concept, and they came up with this Korean drama concept. And yeah, the the, the Korean well. drama, Korean drama was was quite had a following, you know. Yeah. So you see, the Koreans have K-pop, their own identity, J-pop. What do you think Singapore identity will be if we were to have one? Uh. It's it's hard to say because we are Singapore is unique in the sense that we are very, very exposed to the uh, English market, like English speaking market. Whether it's magazines, whether it's YouTube channels, TV programs, movies, because we learn English in school. I mean, that's an advantage, right? Yeah. Um. So that that is an advantage for Singaporeans to like create made in Singapore English pop music. You know, but the identity is like. S pop, not Singapore pop, ah, but Singlish pop. How? Huh? We see yeah. the thing with Portugal <laughs> uh, did that, right? If 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 you look, uh, but then it, because when he did Singlish, it was it, it came it was a bit it was it was 
thumbed down by the authorities, by, by, by government ministers, going like, oh, why are you speaking Singlish? You know, I mean, at one time, Singlish was being thumbed down because... Yeah, well, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I remember. But Singlish is... An, look, you, you teach English in schools with proper grammar. Yeah. But Singlish is a cultural thing. It's a society thing. It's a character thing. Like, like kids in English schools would learn proper English. Yeah. But then they will do hip hop in the Jamaican patois, in Pakistani accent, in yeah. Irish style or Scottish. You can't, you know, you can't. It's cultural. It's not grammar in a sense that it's not an exam thing. So there was lack of foresight by the whoever the minister was that was thumbing it down. You know, they think they're clever. They're not that clever, right? So, so I think how it Singapore pop would have been, it could have been as good as as Western pop. Because we were producing really great works. I mean, you look at even the Quest music um, and, um, and all those guys that produced in the 60s, they were like... Oh, top-notch, yeah, man. Top yeah, notch, yeah, yeah. yeah. Their style of playing, their production. So that would have been the base to carry forward. So if you want to do local music, Singapore music, this is the reference point. Yeah. And you just you know, improve with the technology, new sound, whatever. Uh, at the same time, we also have those cultural elements. Like we had band called Rain, uh, Rain of, uh, Flame of the Forest. We had uh, Culture Vulture. Yeah, culture so they vulture, were experimenting culture, yeah. with kind of ethnic sounds, fusing the different elements, you know. And it was kind of trial and error. Some jadi, some tak jadi. You know, some happened, some did. Like, like Tokyo Square's uh, Within You Remain with Kucheng, I think. That kind of worked. Although it was actually a Hong Kong Kanto pop song, which they kind of... You know, into an English with English lyrics, but that worked and that caught the imagination of the uh, the the country. So we need we need that kind of uh, public consciousness of local arts. Now local arts is just cornered to okay, people who love theatre will just go. It's the same people going to theatre, same people going to Baby, same people going to Esplanade. Is that? But you need to create that kind of national consciousness. And this is where you see the weakness. COVID-19 has exposed Singapore homegrown industry as being very weak. Art Fazil is saying this now live. <laughs> listen. Yes. Listen up, motherfuckers. Listen up, listen up, you motherfuckers. Hey, you know what? I, I know a local band. Huh? I mean, I've heard of this local band. I, I follow them pretty closely. The Steve McQueens. Have you heard of that? I've heard of the name. I mean, the name of the band. Not bad. It's quite good. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah. Send me the link. Yeah. 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 So why, why did I say that it exposes the weakness of the Singapore homegrown industry with COVID nineteen? Yeah. Now the local promoters cannot bring international original acts. Thank you very much. Oh. Yeah, that's true. Eh? Thank you very much. I repeat that the local promoters that used to bring international acts, they used to bring in regional acts. Now cannot make business because you cannot bring in all these acts. Oh, now, man. if you had a very strong homegrown industry, you would have that problem. Malaysia and Indonesia and Thailand do not have that problem. They have a very strong local homegrown yeah. industry to cater to all the promoters and the movers and shakers and TV stations and whatnot. Now is the time to wake up and like, let's start a very strong homegrown industry. Let's push for it. Let's make sure that People know who is who. All these youngsters. I mean, there are a lot of talents. There are a lot of music shops open more than ever than before. Yeah. You know, you go to Peninsula, you go and there's more music schools than ever. Parents are sending their kids to... But where will these kids go? I mean, yeah. there's SOTA, there is La Salle, there's NAFA offering music programs. But where will these kids go? What, and not being music teachers? 
You need to create the platform. You need to create the market. The market that we need is also the international market. What is the embassies doing all over the world? Earning big fat salaries and just promoting trade? Trade and industry. <laughs> Make music from Singapore as part of trade. Sell it. The Irish... The I, no, Irish, the, the Republic of Ireland has 4.5 million people. Singapore has 5.6 million people. In Ireland, there's 4.5 million people. There's more ships in Ireland than people. <laughs> <laughs> Just but like what, New Zealand. Eh? But what they produce? They produce U2. Yeah. Clarnet. They produce uh, cranberries. They produce um, uh, Enya. Yeah. Guinness Stout. Right? <laughs> Stuff like that, right? I mean, these are obviously... They Conor sell, McGregor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they, but obviously, they sell to uh, the American market, the white yeah. market. But Sweden, Sweden has about the same size of population of, of Singapore, but they produce pop acts. I mean, do Singapore have talent? Yes, they, but they all gone to Taiwan or KL, yeah, exactly. or Indonesia or whatever, you know. So, you're, it's brain drain. You're talking about brain drain, brain drain for years, right? And they keep saying that you know you can't make money out of music in Singapore. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's in a way it's true because the homegrown market is kind of it's not wishy-washy. Yeah. yeah, and then there's no way to monetize your product. No support. Yeah, yeah. So, so you end up okay. There's a job offer in Taiwan to in Taipei to produce acts there. Yeah. So you you got musicians, record songwriters. We've lost talents there, and gone up to China to a bigger market, Malaysia. I'm not saying Singapore born. He was a yeah. Singaporean. He started in Singapore, yeah. but he's became a Malaysian and became Dato. And you know his his even Rami Sari got dato ship from from Malaysia. You know that that kind of respect that he gets. You know who gets cultural medallion? Rami Sari should get cultural medallion award. It's about time. It's man. about time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so yeah. don't play punk with politics here, man. Mm. You know, just just make sure get give the right people the the the, the, the proper recognition, right? Not just people who toe the line and don't say the right things. I don't, I don't imagine Art Fazil getting cultural medallion award, and I don't give a shit about awards. <laughs> Because I you mean, I, I, when I play music, it's not about awards; it's about personal satisfaction. It's about your passion, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've won a couple of awards in my time. You know, I best songwriter, blah blah, whatever. You know, can find it on Wikipedia. Yeah. But uh, uh, the the thing is, I mean, obviously, all artists are like you don't do things for awards, but you get awarded. Yeah, okay, your peers. Like recognition kind of for your work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course. But I think the right people need to be given the right recognition. You know what? Let's start a movement. Hashtag Make Singapore Music Great Again. <laughs> yeah, why, why, why not? Yeah, because because I mean, like, like COVID nineteen, now it exposes the fact that okay, you want to do local gigs, but do the public know who they are? Yeah. Right, okay lah. So we are limited to in phase three. We'll be limited to two hundred in the crowd. You know, yeah. but obviously it will go online. So how many people will, people will watch online? I I just went through this this morning. Uh, Baybeats actually had performances and then they are streaming it online. Yeah, now. for this year, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, to, yeah. I was to kind of, of somewhat promote. Uh, yeah, with yeah. Inverted yeah. commerce. Like, yeah. You know? So yeah, I, I saw I saw some of that. I mean, yeah. Singapore is never lacking in talents. Yeah. And then we are clever people. We read, we listen, we pick things up. You know, this technology that kids are all using now. There's all this stuff that you, you can download. You can create your own music with mm. you know simple softwares now. You know, you don't need huge. You can do stuff in your bedroom. Yeah. But where do they go after this? Right? What? Yeah. Where? Where? So I mean, I've spoken about this in some other event. I said, look, you need. That's why you need the embassies to kind yeah. of work. Like the British Council promoted. Asian Dark Foundation as part of British music. Mm. Asian Dark Foundation played WOMAT sponsored by the British Council. Yeah. They're not even whites. 
but it's British. Yeah. Right. So you need you need to have that kind of, you know, very cl- clever people who have that kind of vision. They need to employ Art Fazil for heaven's sake. <laughs> right. You need to get me as the guru to tell you what to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, jokes aside, you need you need that kind no, of. I I think your inputs, huh? And we've spoken to several people with the same uh, who who highlighted the same problems, and I sad to say lah. I mean, ah. The things that I get from many people doesn't really make sense. But this one, you actually have that ground knowledge and you know what's going on and your recommendations are not far-fetched, you see. It makes sense. So you, you work with the Singapore Embassy in London or for, forget the big big markets, like forget UK, forget US. Go to Eastern European countries, Central Europe, where they are not so... I mean, we, the competition is different. Right, yeah. and then they'll probably be more interested in oh Singapore, you know. I mean, we have a certain standard that you know. Oh, Singapore is a great country, good city, blah, you know, all that that kind of you know. We have a certain good image in 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 at international level. I mean, apart from the human rights issues and all that, right? But a, fi- terms, a fine city also. Yeah. yeah. In t- so in terms of how it's governed, how it is the administration, yeah, the, and, the, and the, it's really good. The whole the whole city being nicely manicured, you know, with the green area, green spaces, yeah. the block of flats. I mean, you know, you you have to give credit where it's due, yeah. right? So you can't knock off Singapore for that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, no, no country is perfect, so there are other issues that need to be ironed on, uh, iron off. But that aspect, you know, so sell the Singapore brand. What I call the, you know, like Britain had cool Britannia, where you know, I mean, obviously. There are some criticism against that because Blair was using the pop bands to kind of like gain his political mileage, right? Yeah, but it, the band like bands like uh, Oasis gained from it, you right, know, yeah. all that, right? So there was a m- kind of movement like Brit pop movement. So we need to have the Singapore pop movement or something where people know these bands and the songs are on radio. I mean, to be fair, the songs people do play local songs, but it's not as big as it was in the nineties. Right, yeah. and it's just pockets of pe- people who are interested in it, and because obviously now the competition is even even stronger, and 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 more things are happening. People are so distracted yeah. by so many things going on YouTube, Spotify, and your sport for choice. So the, we need to kind of you know really streamline the direction where you want to take this to. So like the embassies can you know in 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 Slovakia, Slovenia, and there's so many arts programs, art events. Uh, obviously local bands have done it like. Uh, uh, pinholes, uh, full pledge monkeys. They on their own initiative got NAC funding and gone on to do festivals in yeah. Japan or Canada. You know, but but that's kind of yeah your own initiative, which is cool, which is cool because yeah. the bands need to know how to to do their own thing. But at the same time, we have all the Singapore Day in London. We have you know all these things which you can promote. Uh, Singapore cultural products, which yeah. is like Singapore popular cultural products contemporary you know like it could be a dj a kid with a with a turntable or a rapper hip-hop it doesn't have to be the tried and tested traditional stuff here comes the malay dance yeah because malay is part of, <laughs> i mean yeah you can have that component because that is the you know the standard thing but also do give that room for the young you know musicians that have got that kind of product or songs that's already in Spotify and YouTube that when they play, they go like, ah, they can get new followers. And from there, it, they can get in touch with the local promoters. 
you know, a niche market, like if you're into dance music, most likely you can get a gig in a, some dance festival. Correct. You're into reggae, there's... I mean, have you heard of the band called Impiety? Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Impiety yeah. has been touring the world for the last 20 years. <laughs> and... I mean, I'm shocked you know Impiety, eh? Huh? I'm shocked that you know Impiety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh, I'm aware of what's going on okay. in there as, as much as I, I, I can find out, you know. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they're around and they do tours in Brazil, All Shanghai, over, yeah. even Dhaka Metal Festival, mm-hmm. Jakarta. I mean, they, they, they go, they will tour for six, at least six months a year, right? And they don't give a shit about Singapore market. They've never been appeared on Straits Times or, or, yeah. or... But because it's a niche market. So the way for the Singapore bands to go is to find niche market. Because to fight with the Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran is tough. Because the white market is very racist. Now that you mentioned about impiety, my next question to you. I mean, you are comfortable in doing what you're doing, correct? Would you consider collaborating with a black metal band? I mean, collaboration and make, creating new works. I, I mean, a, any artist should be open for it. Okay. You know? But I'll, I, I'll call you. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm saying that it's, it's hard to compete with the, the, in, in the, in the white market because, because there is a saying in, in, in the music industry, the market consumes itself. Mm. That means if you're a white kid, you'll buy white products, white artist products. So you, so even when I was in the UK, I was signed to an indie label. So in fact, before that, I was, I had a manager who was. Uh, after that, he went on to manage Colin Bailey Ray. Yeah. So so he got me a show, a showcase, a gig showcase, and we were playing. I was playing my own songs, and like he brought uh, the, uh, uh, the the man- the general manager from Polygram uh, UK, Polygram Records UK. So yeah, I said yeah. I was playing and then he said, he told my management, yeah, he's, he's, good. he's good, some of the songs are okay, good, and some are not so good. I mean, fair, fair comments, you know. But we don't know where to place him on the shelf. Mm. I'm, it's neither here nor there. I'm Asian, yeah. I'm Asian, Melayu. Yeah. There is no precedent. You know, if I'm Jamaican, there's Bob Marley. Yeah. If I'm Asian, Pakistani, British, Indian, there's Apache Indian. Okay, wait, but how did they market Angun? See, Angun, Angun went to France. So a different market with different way of recept... Uh, uh, see, the world music began in France. The whole world music movement, because they had a lot of uh, African migrants, yeah. uh, even uh, Middle Eastern migrants, French-speaking world. Yeah. So they were already exposed to Middle Eastern music, right, yeah. all the various m- different... Non- the Moroccans, the African, yeah, and, 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 the people not, Afri- and they were not English-speaking. So, and yeah. French were, you know, they, they and the English had some rivalry, right? Yeah. Yeah, so so they were more open to, to so Shep Mami and all those guys. Uh, Shep Mami, yeah. Shep Mami and uh, uh, what's that guy's uh, name? Uh, Khaled. So all those guys were already famous because they had their own following amongst the French, the Algerian uh, community. Uh, yeah, the immigrant community, and also that kind of crept on into the mainstream market because they became a French culture, right? So uh, so when the when the market consumed, so I, we had that issue of. How do you market? Even you look at Yuna, she's marketed like a black artist. Yeah, true. The Nubian kind of hairstyle, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the whole styling and even the music when she was playing in Malaysia is different sound. Then she worked with Pharrell Williams. So there is a lot of marketing goes into mainstream pop products. So, so, we, we, so we, we have that kind of issue with that, like you're neither here nor there. So unless you create this market, so this market, I mean, market can be created like K-pop is a created market. Mm. Right, so there could have been a English Asian market that goes all the way from Singapore, Jakarta, Thailand, Bangkok, all the way up to Shanghai, where yeah. because English is such an easy language to learn, you can even sing the song and sound 
good without even understanding the lyrics. Yeah. You know, it's not that difficult like 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 uh, French or German because yeah. you know it's quite yeah it's quite a simple language to to to, to pick up. So and, and and from this angle, I see the the Indonesians are slowly creeping in. The younger Indonesian artists are very conversant in English, and their diction pronunciation is is spot on. And obviously, you now they they've got um, Monica Agnes Monica who's already in the states. Yeah. yeah, you know, again, she's styled for a black market, Oriental girl, sexy, and that kind of sparked the imagination of black guys. You know, Oriental chick. You know, so they kind of geared her towards that kind of market. So you also need to understand like what direction you're heading for, in yeah. terms of like you know like like so for like in Paiti they're like it's it's a kind of that market we don't care who you are you just sing in that way that we like we like that yeah. guitar sound we like that that way of performance right so even with dance music, uh, reggae like people like uh, uh, Bushman and all that so you have that niche market so I mean for Singapore X. It will be a lot easier if you go for the niche market rather than you go for the mainstream ones and trying to break into the open waters. One mic stand. stand. Thank you all for listening to One Mic Stand. Do follow us on our Facebook and Instagram page. That is O N E underscore M I C S T A N D. Also, follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts with the same name. And last but not least, to all our groupies, we could not have done it without your support and feedbacks. Fuck yeah.
that for 